Clint and business and the more um, uh, I, the more I get clear on why I do this or why I've done this, I just keep coming back to the same thing. It's, a, it's not really all that important what I do. <clears throat> it's really important who I do it with. And most of my memories <clears throat> in this room and in this business are about relationships with people. So we all need to, as leaders and managers, we need to get out of the business of managing and get into the business of coaching. That's what we need to be doing. If we, and especially in today's, uh, the, the, the work dynamics of today. Okay, we, you know, we need to be able to uh, 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 inspire our teammates, uh, build trusting relationships with our teammates. They want to get better. How do we help them get better? How do, how do you and I have an interaction that makes you a little bit better today than you were yesterday? Welcome to episode seven of the Journey Podcast. I'm your host, CEO. Welcome to the show where my goal is to sit down with some of the most influential people over the course of my life and to show that we are all connected through life experiences. On today's episode, I was fortunate enough to sit down with our CEO, Dwight Cooper. Dwight has been the CEO of Human People Solutions, formerly um, PPR, for over two decades so today was quite a wonderful episode to sit down and get to really know Dwight more so we sat down and talked about uh, some of the movies that he enjoys whether it's uh, comedy scary movies well he doesn't really like scary movies we find out so I think you guys will enjoy that piece but we really dive into the overall core values that he's held true to his heart over the years and what's helped attribute to building a successful company and being a successful entrepreneur. For those who know, Dwight also was a uh, former basketball coach and grew up playing basketball and being surrounded by the sport his entire life. So we really uh, connect there because you know me being a, a former athlete myself, it was really interesting to sit down and hear how some of the skills and coaching philosophies that he's held over the years has helped attribute to that business and entrepreneurial success. Another great thing about Dwight that I I truly admire is his community involvement. It's very easy, I feel. I wouldn't say easy, but I I feel like uh, the busier we get, and maybe if you're a business owner or not, you may understand uh, that time is very precious so it's very admirable to see how involved uh, Dwight is in the community so we sit down and talk about everything so from his uh, movie selection core values that help built this company sports including the NBA finals and what an interesting year for the NBA playoffs a lot of a lot of sweeps this year and uh, we end on talking about his community involvement. I definitely think that you guys, especially all of my fellow co-workers, will glean a lot of great information from today's episode. And <clears throat> if you haven't already, I highly encourage you and really would appreciate if you guys subscribe to my podcast if you haven't already. And then also write me a review. I'd greatly appreciate it. I'm definitely still trying to grow each and every episode. And I appreciate those who have listened thus far and have followed me. You can find me on iTunes, Overcast, 
Google Play, and many other podcast platforms. So follow me, whatever your iPhone, Android, what have you. Go ahead and, and click the subscribe button under the journey. And it's by Chris O'Neill. Everybody just calls me CO. So sit back, relax, enjoy today's episode. So very excited to have Dwight Cooper on the episode of The Journey today. I know you've been very busy in and out of the office this week. Tell me, uh, catch me up to speed. How's your week been? Yeah, it's been great. Um, Nice mixture of uh, work and spending time with the family. The kids are home for the summer. They're 17, 14, and 14. So there aren't many more summers that, you know, I have them all in the house. And so trying to do a good job of balancing uh, spending time with them to the extent that they want to spend time you know I can wear out my welcome there too so it's yeah. good every now and then to get on the road and do a, a work trip for a day like I did yesterday sure sure and speaking of which were you able to be in town for Father's Day how yeah. was that Father's Day was great and so uh, we went to one of our favorite restaurants kind of on the intercoastal near St. Augustine Caps and had a nice meal and then uh, went home and my 17 year old has been uh, hounding me to watch a scary movie with her and I'm not into that at all I'm I don't do well with scary movies, and uh, but when your 17-year-old wants to hang out with you, sure. you know, you say yes. And so, sure enough, we watched uh, The Conjuring. Have you seen that? No, but it sounds terrifying. Yes, it's the uh, it's kind of the modern day uh, version of The Exorcist, uh, demon possession sort of deal. And Ugh. I watched at least a third of it, sort of through my fingers. I couldn't watch the whole screen; I had to cover some of it up because I was. Frightened, and uh, so my 17 year old daughter got a kick out of scaring me uh, really bad, and uh, we had a great time. Nice, nice. I have to put that on the list of movies not to watch. Speaking of movies, I know you're not a scary movie fan. What's your ideal kind of movie? Are you action, comedy, drama? Uh, so I'm, I'm, I, I love a good comedy, and I'll give you a little insight. Uh, if I had to kind of pick my four or five favorite movies of all time, I know two of them. Uh, would be uh, Fletch. I don't know if you've seen Fletch. Probably a little. Before. Fletch was a. <laughs> you're too young for that. Uh, and then Caddyshack. Have you Cat, seen Caddyshack? Yes. Okay. Caddyshack, absolutely. So you have to watch Fletch. Okay, it's a, 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 another great, a great comedy. So those are two of my favorite. When I can, you know, I do also on that list are Goodwill Hunting uh, and The Shawshank Redemption. So those are all kind of in my top five. I heard uh, that one. Oh no, you got it. Morgan Freeman, you got to see that. Yeah. I feel like my father would be disappointed if he heard yes. the list of movies I've not seen. Yes. But, uh, so, <clears throat> I know you've been traveling in and out of the office this week. You mentioned you were out of town yesterday? Yeah, I, uh, uh, went, I had an opportunity to talk uh, to a company up in North Carolina about how to create an a engaged workforce, how to do a better job of creating a company culture. So I went up and saw the leadership team of an organization up there, about uh, 25 of their leaders, and we just spent an hour with them talking about our journey to be in uh, a great place to work, both here at PPR and now at Human, uh, and sort of uh, what the payoff of that is, why you should do that, and and uh, and, and then about the how-to. You know, like what are, what are, you know, a lot of people I think want aspire to have. Uh, a great place to work, but they don't know what what's really the first step in that. And then what's step number two and step number three? And so we had a great conversation about uh, you know some of the blocking and tackling of really trying to create the right environment that is going to attract the right people, uh, create engagement, and so that engagement leads to serving a customer better and growing your business at the end of the day. And so we had a nice uh, talk about that in uh, in Durham, North Carolina, yesterday. Nice. 
I've noticed you've done a lot of traveling and speaking engagements. Is that something that's just come with your role in the company, or is it just something like you've always been good at? Well, I don't know about good at. You'll have to ask them. But uh, <laughs> I will say that one of the exercises that I went through probably a decade ago is trying to figure out really what my core values are. What are the things that are most important to me? And through that process, uh, what I what I uncovered was that one of my core values is to coach and to be coached. And so uh, when I started uh, this business 22 years ago, uh, I had lots of coaches and mentors. I had no idea really how to run a business. I had to learn that one day at a time. So I've had lots of great influencers and uh, I want to reciprocate that. And so that's the coach and be coach thing. And it's interesting because when you identify something like that as one of your core values, then opportunities tend to present themselves for mm-hmm. that to show up, right? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's it, if someone's in a conversation with me about, you know, hey, I want to create a better place to work, uh, I'm raising my hand saying, how can I help, right? And so that's really what led to that. We were working on uh, some potential new business there, and while we were doing it, they expressed their interest in uh, having an aspirational culture uh, that was similar to what we've achieved here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I volunteer, and so I, I, uh, I love to be in those conversations. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about. And yeah. so uh, you're right. Every uh, you know, maybe every two or three months, uh, I get the opportunity to talk about it, and I t- I tend to say yes to those opportunities. Absolutely, and it's it's funny and it's interesting that you bring up the the core values because as we're sitting here in the Excellence Conference Room, and I'm taking a peek at our core values as a company here. Do you have any fond memories that come to mind, like just being in this this specific conference room? Yeah. I'm sure you have plenty of them, but what's like the the most fond memory you have of you know being in this conference room as uh, we overlook the ocean? You know, there's so many, and and the the longer I spend in business, and the more um, uh, I the more I get clear on why I do this or why I've done this, I just keep coming back to the same thing. It's, a, it's not really all that important what I do. <clears throat> it's really important who I do it with. And most of my memories <clears throat> in this room and in this business are about relationships with people. Uh, a lot of those memories are born out of really difficult times. Uh, I've sat in this room back in 2009 when we had to lay people off because we were uh, reeling from the effects of the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the room I was sitting in this room crying, right? And uh, with uh, we laid a big group of people off, and the rest of us were in this room talking about it, and talking about the way out, and talking about the next steps. And we were here for three hours, and, and it was uh, waterworks in this room. And so <clears throat> you might think that's strange to think of as a fond memory, but that what a bonding experience! What a uh, a place that. Uh, really innovative cool new things is born from a place when your uh, back is against the wall mm-hmm. right and you have a certain amount of desperation and it's not going to be easy and that's where you build the best relationships and do your best work sometimes right when you're least uh incented to change it's hard to change mm-hmm. that creates great incentives to do great work and so that i have fond memories about that transition uh coming out of you know some of the worst memories of, from a personnel perspective that we've had to go through. But I also, Chris, I remember being in this room when we figured out what our core values are, right? It was in this room and we, um, you know, I think some people think core values are 
our values are uh, aspirational. They're what you want to be, but they're not. They're who you are. Mm-hmm. And right, and trying to figure out when you have a bunch of people in the room trying to get to the bottom of who we are collectively mm-hmm. is a really cool process. Yeah. Right. And it took, takes lots of hours, and there's no shortcuts. Yeah. And we did that right here in this room, and that's where those came from. What was was there a first core value, or did you guys all come in collectively and have one to two different values you felt, felt were good? Let me tell you about. I'll tell you a little bit about the process, mm-hmm. um, and and then I'll tell you what I'd do if I had to do it all over again. Okay. <clears throat> so, uh, we had a significant representation of our organization here, and really, you know, when you when you're building an organization and you're growing an organization, you tend to hire people with similar values to you so you already have sort of a baseline of people who have similar values sure. right uh, and so what we did in the exercise is we really uh, had everyone uh, create a brainstorm list of what you think our values are our collective mm-hmm. values are right and that's where we started and then uh, like I said there's no shortcuts there were lots of discussion lots of calling lots of reprioritizing mm-hmm. lots of uh, you know the, all the values were legitimate and they were within consideration but when you think about core values it's sort of a small group of the ones that are most consistent with the people that are working together right and that's what we were after and so it took a long time to do and uh, it took a long time to get it right and we and, and I feel great about it but it was a there's no uh, it's a real commitment it's a real commitment of time mm-hmm. and effort uh, but what I let me tell you what I'd have done different right okay. and that's that exercise I just told you about only later did I work to identify my own core values mm-hmm. right and we didn't do that in the room that day and I would have liked to have had a few hours just to go through an exploration of the individuals the pioneers in our business and have them build out their own values because if you haven't gone through that exercise you're not really clear on what the the ones that are most core to you are right absolutely and then once you get clear on that it certainly makes the conversation easier about what are we together right that's uh, and so if i did it all over again that's what i would do absolutely i i feel nowadays i'm sure people would want to add core value being at the beach because (laughs) when i tell people where i work like you work on the beach like yes it is probably one of the most amazing parts of being a part of this great company how did the idea to move the office to the beach because you guys didn't originally start here yeah correct no in fact Chris it was you know it's it's really just a set of circumstances and luck that had us end up here we were not seeking an office on the ocean (laughs) and so uh, the, the building that we're sitting in now is more than 60 years old. Uh, it had uh, fallen into disrepair. A developer came in and renovated it around the time we were looking for office space. And uh, my understanding is there was a period of time when uh, they were uh, struggling to find tenants. Mm-hmm. The one thing about this office space is it's an amazing spot and we get to work in this amazing spot with an incredible view all day long. But it's not super conducive to businesses that have customers come in every day, mm-hmm. right? From a parking perspective and navigating. And so uh, it took a unique business like ours that we're, we're gonna have a lot of people here, but we don't have a customer flow here at our home office mm-hmm. uh, to be a great tenant for this space. And so uh, we were, uh, one of our number one priorities at the time, we were trying to grow an entrepreneurial business was frugality. We, we weren't going to splurge on office space and 
reality is, is we were able to rent space in this building on the ocean for less than we could in some traditional office parks in town. And not only had, did we do that initially, what, 18 years ago or something like that, but we've been able to maintain that because we've sort of gobbled up the building one piece at a time that's put us in a kind of a good position with the landlord to uh, always have favorable pricing. And so really we're sitting here in an office on the ocean and uh, I believe that most of the people listening to this podcast are, podcast are probably sitting in more expensive offices than, than we are, which is kind of a cool thing. And walk me through how you guys came up with the different names for the sections of the office, because I know there's the loft, the boardwalk, <laughs> the rink, the oasis. Yeah, you're asking the wrong person because that's that that's an incredibly organic process that really? you guys do, right? The the people that sit in that space, there's always a reason uh, for why they think it should be called something. You know, we just moved our office across the street and. And uh, this is how crazy of a leap that takes is that we moved into a space that used to be occupied by a restaurant Mm -hmm. uh, called Chicago Pizza. Mm -hmm. And simultaneously, uh, we're spinning out a business from our traditional business here, kind of having a second iteration of our business. And so someone came up with the idea that we're going to call that space Second City, right? And so Second City is a famous comedy troupe based in Chicago, the tie-in to Chicago Pizza. It's our second iteration of our business. And so that's the crazy kind of <laughs> circuitous path that we end up getting to names. And you just named all the other spaces in the building. And I assure you there's a story behind all of them, but I don't even know it. The only one I know I'm truly familiar with is the rink. So apparently that space used to be a skating that's rink. Right. And it's, it's incredible because it's such a, I wouldn't say it's a small space, but when you think of a skating rink, it's not a lot of room to, to skate right. around there, but the bell down there, yeah. it, was it, is there a meaning for the bell? I know, was that like a placement thing? That it was, it okay. was. And so uh, there is a bell to ring, uh, you know, our recruiters, and you know this as well as anybody, you're kind of in sales roles, yeah. right? And so uh, for a while, it, it was a, um, a way to celebrate when we made new placements. And that was really appropriate when there were seven recruiters making a few placements a week not only is there a bell but you can see there's a disco ball and disco lights and so uh in the old days if you will uh we'd make a placement and somebody would ring the bell and we'd turn on the disco ball and and have a little miniature celebration but the problem is you you guys got so good at this and you know we're making sometimes 80 90 hires in a week uh, we'd never get any work done because that siren would be going off and the bell would be ringing all the time. So I think it just kind of it, it fell out of favor at some point because there were just too many hires going on in the business, right? Yeah, it definitely adds a touch down there to the ring, though. That's for sure. Yeah, it's got a it's a collected night. You have a little bit of a museum there, right? And yeah. So one of the one of the pieces in in that space that I'm most uh, proud of that I that uh, very few of us have experienced is back in. Uh, the cave area, speaking mm-hmm. of names, uh, we have that American flag hanging. And that uh, American flag hanging went up the week after uh, September 11th mm-hmm. uh, when that took place. And and uh, if you'll recall, it was a very patriotic time. It was, it was so here and with a heavy heart, we hung that flag in the rafters and uh, probably spent the next six years kind of hanging in the rafters. And uh, eventually we thought it was such an important icon part of our history 
that we wanted to preserve it more long term and we put it in a nice frame and hung it back there and put a plaque on there kind of describing what, why it's there and so uh, but you're right you know you walk around the building now and and uh, it uh, you know we've uh, you know the years have flown by uh, but there certainly are a, a good sense of history here in the building with things like the bell and the flag and in the hallways where we have the picture shadow boxes that that uh, kind of speak to each of our years here uh, they're uh, very important memories for the business absolutely uh, now I want to switch gears here a little bit because it kind of ties back into uh, being an entrepreneur but I, I know that you were a basketball coach for some yes. time and a big basketball fan so before we get into your history as a coach I want to dive into the finals yes uh, who are you going for? How did you feel about the finals? And do you feel Warriors, are they a dynasty? I think they are a dynasty. And I'll go, let me go playoffs first. I mean, I think that by most accounts, uh, we just witnessed maybe the worst, the least entertaining playoffs in the history of the NBA, at least as long as I can remember, mm -hmm. right? It's like it was very one-sided, lots of blowouts. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the probably started with LeBron going to Miami, a few years back where he started getting this big three thing going and these mm -hmm. super teams yeah. uh, going on. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's the, to watch those teams play and they both kind of have their own big three in the finals. Uh, on one hand, spectacular, just amazing. You know, just my, my jaw drops open at the plays that they make and the shots that they are able to make over and over and over again, right? The things that may have been considered a, just a special play or a fluke years ago, they, mm -hmm. it's like a, there's a special play every other trip, yeah. right? And so uh, on one hand, that's uh, amazing to watch. On the other hand, I'm worried about that the imbalance in the league and the, and the, you know, the race to having a super team mm -hmm. to be competitive and, and what that does to the rest of the league and, and you know, what they become – uh, capable of doing, you know, is it we're gonna have four teams that can win the championship maybe uh, going forward, and there used to maybe be eight or ten teams that could win a championship, and so uh, you know, I, I don't, I, I hope they do something about it. I don't know what you, I don't know what you do about it, right? But I hope they do something about it to make it more competitive because there's nothing I like better than in any sport, but in basketball, a game seven. Uh, mm -hmm. in the conference finals or in the... It doesn't get better than that. It, it's, it's amazing, right? And so uh, there, weren't any, there weren't any game seven. There maybe one, was there one game seven in all the playoffs this year, maybe? I think maybe there was a first round. Um, maybe, I don't remember. I know there, there, were, yeah. there were more sweeps than there were game sevens, that's, that's right. for sure. There's no doubt about it. And so, uh, and so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, it's, it's going to be curious to watch it play out in the years to come and how they manage through that because it I'm watching free agency in the draft and trades like now right now and it's like there are a handful mm -hmm. of teams that have two great players that are trying to figure out how to get a big three yeah right you would think they would just want to go to the teams and start their own thing so they can knock off the the super teams yeah. but Seem to it be seems like times are yeah. changing that's right in the sports world now I, I know you grew up playing basketball mm -hmm. or just I always did. surrounded by it uh, how did you get into to coaching? Was that something you got into college or post college? Yeah, and so uh, and so I wasn't a good enough player to be a, a really good college basketball player, and I went to Florida State, mm -hmm. and uh, I was uh, and, and I really thought that after I finished a nice high school career, that that would be it. And but 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 I had a passion for the game, and 
as a hobby, I started coaching at a high school in, in Tallahassee while I was at Florida State. Uh, and it was one of those things that one thing led to another. And, and it wasn't that long after that uh, I was coaching in high school that the, the time the head basketball coach at Florida State asked me to come be a director at his basketball camp and kind of run his basketball camps. And then he asked me to do this not this uh, statewide tour camp mm-hmm. and take this camp on the road. Yeah. And so that exposure to camps and, co- and, and the staff at Florida State uh, really got me involved in, uh, in coaching at a deeper level. I, I, again, I have an intention to have a career in it, but all of a sudden I found myself in a career in it. And next thing you know, I was here at the University of North Florida. We started the basketball program. I was the first uh, wow. assistant in the history of the University of North Florida, the first full-time assistant. I worked uh, there as the assistant coach for six years while we uh, got it going. If I was any good at it, I'd still be doing it. <laughs> so, uh, so luckily, I figured out that 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 uh, uh, I got out at the right time, and uh, and and you know, was able to uh, pick up where I uh, where I left off from business school, and uh, and end up in uh, the position I'm in today, and, and, and starting this business 21 years ago. Nice. Do you have any insight as to why UNF doesn't have a football team yet? Uh, a lot of people ask that question. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't. I know there's a lot of debate around that over there. But it, you know what's cool about it, though? It does. It certainly put, keeps the spotlight on basketball there. Yes, and so, it surely does. Uh, and so I think that the basketball program is a beneficiary of that. Mm-hmm. I think they probably need eight or ten more thousand students to make yeah. the economics work of having having football. And it, it's probably inevitable, but I don't know yeah. when. Maybe it's three years, maybe it's 13. I don't know. It has been incredible. I think it was was it last year or the year before we made it to the NCAA playoffs yeah. or the is it playoffs? Yeah, it, yeah. invited. To, we we were uh, uh, received a bid into the NCAA tournament. Nice, and that was our first time, correct? It was. Nice. I bet that was you know being a former coach. That was it, it, it was, and you know when I left coaching and left UNF, there was a kind of a, a gap of years that I mm-hmm. pay, even paid attention to it, right and. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, 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 a great thing happened. They hired an amazing head coach in Matt Driscoll, and he is an infectious guy that sucked me back into the program. And he's done that with a lot of people and, and uh, sucked a bunch of recruits into the program to make yeah. them uh, more of a relevant basketball program. And he's done a great job. And, and since he's been there, I've been engaged and I've had a great time with it. And it's something that I've been able to share with my children. We've been able to you know, go out and watch competitive basketball right here in our backyard, which has been uh, kind of a neat thing. So that's been that's been good. Now tell me uh, a little bit about your coaching philosophy when you were coaching basketball and you feel that uh, your philosophy on coaching uh, or when you did coach has been applicable to running a business. Yeah. It's it, There are so many parallels, mm-hmm. Chris. And I, I uh, uh, you know, I think that as a um, as businesses go, we all need to as leaders and managers, we need to get out of the business of managing and get into the business of coaching. That's what we need to be doing. If we, and especially in today's uh, the, the the work dynamics of today. Okay, we you know we need to be able to uh, 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 inspire our teammates, uh, build trusting relationships with our teammates. They want to get better. How do we help them get better? How do how do you and I have an interaction that makes you a little bit better today than you were yesterday, or a little bit better this week than you were last week, right? And that's what coaching is all about. And I think uh, 
we all businesses can use a dose of more coaching and less managing, if you will. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Absolutely. And it's interesting, you know, growing up an athlete myself, how much playing team sports prepares you yeah. for life, especially in in business. Now, going from transitioning from the sports world to a civilian world or just non-sports can be a very difficult transition for most people whether you're going from being a player to going into the the real world or a coach into the real world how did you deal with that transition and how did you ultimately land in what ultimately 21 years later became a a great company it's chris it's a great question if you think if you talk to any athlete or any coach you'll get the same answer almost 100 percent of the time about what they love about what they do Mm -hmm. and it's the camaraderie of the team and whether it's the coaching staff team or the staff and the players together or the players or the starting five or you know whatever it is right and 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 i think that when i let when i left coach when i left coaching this was the number one fear i had because i loved that part of it you know and 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 anytime it's kind of like what i talked about earlier about being in this room going through difficult times with people, well, sports uh, are filled with difficult times, right? And physical and mental challenges that are thrown at you all the time. And you have to, in in basketball or in team sports, uh, you have to come together and and create solutions together, right? Or you will not be successful. So uh, that's that's the great lesson, right? And I'll never forget, Leaving coaching and 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 I and my first job, I left coaching and I went to work for a company uh, that was recruiting physical therapists into nursing home into a nursing home environment. And I went from my office at the gym, where I had all the coaching staff sitting around me and the students and the players and all that, to downtown uh, in a high-rise building. And I walk into my office and I and they actually give me an office on my very first day. And I work in, a, in this office with a relatively small satellite office of a larger company. And there's eight people that work there. Mm-hmm. And seven of them are women in their 40s or 50s and me. Mm-hmm. Right? And I remember sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, what have I done? Right? I traded those relationships uh, for this new team. Yeah. And they don't look like me. Uh, they know different things than I do. In fact, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. They do. Uh, this is going to be a challenge, right? And it didn't take long for me to figure out that that was my new team, right? Mm-hmm. And that we had more in common than we didn't. Than we had that wasn't in common, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, great learning experience for me that uh, teams come in all shapes and sizes, and they come in uh, all types of different environments, right? And so. Uh, the good news is, is if you have an opportunity to be a leader on that team, uh, then you can create an environment, an environment that's not dissimilar to what your experience was as a coach or a player. Absolutely. Right? And that's one of the things that we try to do here. Uh, and, and one of the things that um, I think allows us and allows us to be malleable and we can learn from each other and grow out of tough circumstances. Because many of us have been in sports. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Well, speaking on, you know, building a, a successful company, obviously um, you've done an amazing job building this company from the ground up. And it's, it's very exciting to see kind of where we go next. 
in a day and age, I actually list a lot of podcasts with a lot of entrepreneurs and they call them entrepreneurs as well. It seems like the younger generation were so heavily focused on becoming successful overnight or six months, I'm gonna be a six figure individual. As an entrepreneur in the early stages, Walk me through some of those sacrifices and uh, what are your thoughts? Because there's a whole idea of waking up at 4 a.m. or you're not going to be successful. Some people are early risers. Some people work late at night. Some people do a combination of both. What was your thing as an entrepreneur? Yeah, in the early I, think, stages? I, I think that, um, you know, there was a, there's, there's a lot, uh, timing has a lot to do with most entrepreneurial success stories. And I'm not immune from that. And I'll tell you that the timing of this opportunity to start this business uh, came at a time when I was newly married. I had a wife that had a great job. Uh, I didn't have children to support yet. Uh, I was in a great place to make big sacrifices, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I could quit my job and and put in the, the effort and time without really causing uh, pain to my children for not being around, that kind of thing, right? And so uh, the timing was great. Uh, we, uh, yeah, you know, when you start a business and especially in that stage of the business, there is, a, unfortunately, there's a certain element of having uh, to just outwork the competition, right? Which means uh, that you don't have work-life balance. Uh, as I've matured. Uh, I, I have a much clearer understanding of how important work-life balance is. Uh, it's not super consistent with startup, right? Yeah. Uh, however, the flip side of that is is I believe that when you get through a certain phase of a business and you have a team of people rather than your every, it's all on you, uh, that you have an op- that that we overthink that also that. Uh, you have organizations to this day that are uh, large organizations that wears a badge of courage. The guy sleeps overnight in the office when you work 80-hour weeks. Um, not only do I think it's personally unhealthy, I'm not sure it's the best thing for your business either, right? And so uh, uh, I certainly have very fond memories of those startup years, and they were 80. They literally were 80-hour weeks. Mm-hmm. I'd wake up in the morning. And I'd spend all the, the hours that businesses were open calling businesses trying to sell our services. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when they were closed, I'd call candidates and try to recruit them all the way to the West Coast. And so it'd be uh, first thing in the morning. to, And that went on for a couple of years. And it, I have very, very fond memories of that. Mm-hmm. Never do it again. I'm not interested in mm-hmm. doing that again. I would never do it again. Uh, so the timing is a really important part of of uh, being a being a successful entrepreneur, not only do you have to have, you know, your personal circumstances have to be aligned with what has to happen to be successful, but there are certain environmental circumstances that that need to line up as well, right? And Absolutely. and then and then with all of that, then you got to make great decisions because if you turn left when you should have should have turned right, it might be over, yeah. right? It's very uh, startups are very sensitive to mm-hmm. making bad decisions. Yeah. And I imagine it's, it's important to have a, a good supporting cast, and especially in those early stages. So what's next? I know uh, down the road for you, I yeah. know that you're into 
cycling? Do you yep. see any Ironmans in your future? Some and, ultra uh, marathons? What's next for, I'm, for I'm, Dwight? Uh, I'm retired from running. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm a full-time cyclist now just because that's what my body prefers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but I am, yeah. but I certainly, certainly am looking, I'm constantly looking for cycling challenges, right? And so mm-hmm. I love, it goes back to the competitive piece, the sports, sure. the whole deal. Uh, I love to have an event on the horizon that I have to be ready for mm-hmm. and train for. Uh, in September, as a few of us are going to ride uh, in a Grand Fondo that takes us from Vancouver, which is sea level, to uh, Whistler, Canada, which is at 7,000 feet and about, I don't know, 80 miles or so away. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that gives us something to kind of strive for and train for. And I'll be up first thing tomorrow morning getting on the bike for four hours. And so uh, when you say what's next, I, I hope as long as I can, cycling will be part of that. Uh, you know, I'm trying to... Uh, uh, have my new role and having uh, exited PPR for the most part and running human, trying to have the right balance of spending time on vacation and with the family, but still working. I love what I do and I love it a lot. The, the main reason I love it is because I get to work with those people that I love, right? I, that I care a lot about. And every day I get to come in and do something uh, with them and, and try to meet another challenge. I'm not the retired guy type. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll do this as long I'll do something like this or this as long as I possibly can I enjoy uh, I enjoy relationship with customers employees mm-hmm. um, you know it's a uh, it's not it certainly uh, doesn't it's an important part of my life right yeah uh, I'm not defined by it like I said I have hobbies I have family I have mm-hmm. kids and I want to make sure I balance it well but it is an important part of my life and I enjoy it yeah. I know you're involved heavily in the community outside yes. of uh, human and PPR uh, can you walk me through like some of the different uh, community involvements that you're a part of? Yeah, I'll tell you that uh, that when when we when PPR in the early years when we started having uh, f- financial success, I, I would you know people people would ask you to sponsor things mm-hmm. and be a part of it, and I'd write checks, right? And then that went on for a couple of years, and one day I just said, you know. Writing checks isn't so fulfilling. I want to do something, right? I want to be a doer. Uh, and and I was still a young entrepreneur. Uh, how to engage in that was new to me. Uh, but I did. I started to uh, look for ways to engage, try to be on committees and boards, and uh, and try to take some of the things I have learned in business and try to make help make those organizations better. And and that wasn't my initial approach. My initial approach was just to be a participant. But I. Uh, but I saw how underserved uh, some of the volunteer organizations are in this city and everywhere. They're underserved from a uh, wisdom, intellectual property, uh, strategic perspective. And so uh, it was quick. I was quick to uh, identify an opportunity to really make a difference by trying to per- apply some strategic leadership to uh, nonprofit organizations, which given me the opportunity to. Uh, chair a number of uh, organizations, but I try to do it different. You know, if mm-hmm. I'm going to chair an organization, I'm all in, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm and, and and I'm not just going to show up for the meetings once a quarter, uh, but I'm going to I'm going to try to uh, help the strategic direction of organizations, and I've done that for uh, my kids' school. I've done it for the baseball league in my local community that my children were involved in. I've done it for the National MS Society. I've done it. Uh, at the University of North Florida, the Gator Bowl Association. So I've had lots of opportunities to work with uh, 
uh, nonprofit organizations in the community. Community, and my favorite part is trying to uh, also expose people from here to those kind of things, right? And so uh, it starts with uh, volunteering, but once we end up uh, uh, being good volunteers and foot soldiers, there are other opportunities for those who are interested and committed. So we've had a chance to matriculate some uh, uh, young leaders in our business into board seats and things like that in the community. And that's one of the things I'm most proud of. And and uh, I'm proud of our ongoing PPRs and humans ongoing commitment to the community. It's a really important role that businesses play and we are uh, we want to be at the forefront of that. We all have great ideas about doing that, right? And we're all, we all, we all, our hearts are in the right place. We have great ideas about it, but actually deciding to do it and making the commitment to do it's a whole different thing. And that's, uh, that's something that that step doesn't happen often enough, mm-hmm. right? And, and part of it's just putting it on the calendar, <laughs> right? And, and, yeah. and if you, if you start putting it on the, putting those things on the calendar, next thing you know, mm-hmm. you're making a real impact, right? Yeah. And so I, I hope that, uh, more uh, more of our teammates from PPR and human do try to engage at that kind of a level where they you know because a lot of times those organizations they're uh, they're not equipped to uh, uh, set you up as a volunteer to be successful you mm-hmm. have to make your own way right absolutely. and so uh, that takes a little more of a, w- a little more will if you will absolutely well I, I don't want to keep you too much longer I know you've got to run here soon but I do want to end on this for, for my own sake. I, I know you're uh, somewhat of a fond reader, and I kind of wanted to know, like, is there any one or a couple of books oh, yeah. that you've read, whether fiction or non-fictional, that have made an impact on your life? Yeah, oh, there's, so, there's so many. Um, I'll mention just a couple. So, so first off, the whole basis of our business is based on creating a great place to work. Uh, and that sort of being our purpose, mm-hmm. right? And that our belief that if we do that, then the rest of it will take care of itself. We'll get better people to want to come to work here. They'll work better together. Uh, they'll give discretionary effort. They'll be successful. It, we're all in the people business. If our people are doing those things, then we have a great chance to win. So it's our, it's the foundation of our business tra- strategy. Mm-hmm. I learned all that from Jim Collins. He wrote a book uh, called Built to Last. A long time is his first book. Most people talk about good to great. Mm-hmm. You've heard uh, the right people on the bus and the right seats. That's mm-hmm. all from good to great. Uh, his subsequent bestseller. But oh, wow. okay. if you go back to built to last, it's about it's about identifying uh, your core ideology and mm-hmm. living it. And so uh, this whole business is based on learning from Jim Collins and and uh, his work and his research. Uh, that, that led to that book. And so that's one. Uh, uh, one of my other favorite authors is a, a gentleman named Marshall Goldsmith. You know, I don't know if you may have read What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Yes, I have. Yeah. And that's really about challenging us as individuals about how to, how to have change to our behaviors when we're least incentive to, incented to change our behaviors, mm-hmm. uh, to grow as a person, as an employee, as a spouse, to grow our career. Uh, Marshall gives very sage advice in his book. What uh, got you here won't won't get you there. And I'll close by saying one of the one of my probably my biggest surprises was a book I read recently that I didn't expect to have so many great life lessons in it. That does is a book called Shoe Dog by Shoe Dog. Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. And it's it's uh, more than an autobiographical story of his life. 
it is packed with life lessons that I just, I, I actually have uh, played audio of that book to my children recently just oh, to, because wow. he, he, he does such a great job of articulating the things that are important in that book. And I just recommend that book to, to anyone. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge Nike fan, so I'll be uh, happy to, to yes. go for that book. It's very so. good. Well, I appreciate it, uh, Dwight. I know you've got to run. I, I can't thank you enough. This has been a, a great episode, and I, I greatly appreciate your time. Well, Chris, you're doing a great job. I've enjoyed listening to your work, and, uh, and, I, and I just am honored to be a part of it. So thank you. Absolutely. Anytime.